Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers, everyone. A thunderstormy Wednesday evening here in western New York. And uh, we got a big show on tap tonight, Tom. Why don't you give us a rundown? All right. We're going to talk a little bit about the match last night, um, talk about NBA and NHL playoffs. We're going to preview UFC 264. Then we have our fantasy wide receiver rankings, our conference USA preview, and a preview of the NFC East. So, yeah, a lot going on this week. Big, big episode. So uh, let's jump right in. Uh, no time to waste here, Tom, as uh, we talk about the match Uh Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau come out on top three and two over Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. Uh, yours truly uh, gave out that selection last night, and it was a it was a nice night for me. Um, it was a very entertaining match. Boy, was it slow though. So long. That was my complaint. It was, um, Phil's funny. He had me rolling a few times in the beginning. Um, the the views from that golf course were just amazing. Uh, Montana, it's been a big good... big sky is a beautiful place. Yeah, um, between that and Yellowstone, I mean, I think the uh, prices on properties in Montana have tripled over the last couple of years. Um, but it just it was five and a half hours. Yeah, that's a long time to watch a match like that. They needed to keep things moving a little bit more. Alternate shot format should not take that long. No. It was it was silly, but they were they were using it as like a, an, an entertainment thing where there was a lot of talking, a lot of downtime. Like I would appreciate more golf and less of the banter. Let the banter just be natural. Don't force it. Yeah, and if you're gonna do it, do it a couple of times, not after every hole or in, after every drive. It seemed there would be, you know, Phil would pull over and talk to Charles and. I just see there's yeah. too much of that and not enough. And I get it. They're raising money. They're, and they did a great job of that. Again, made a ton of money for, for charities. Right. Um, the golf itself was good and fun. Some of the gimmicks on the holes are fun. The closest to the pin and all that. That's the one cool. club challenge hole was very entertaining. And uh, I posted a poll on Twitter last night and said, would you be more likely to watch a PGA Tour one club tournament? Everybody loves podcast sounds. Uh, the PGA one club tournament in the place of a non-major event. Would you be more likely, less likely to watch that event? And, I mean, I'm on the side of I would love watching that. I'd be excited to watch it. It's a little bit gimmicky and hokey, I guess. But it would be very fun to watch and see how people are creative with it. So, um, yeah. and, and the poll came out. Uh, slightly, it was around like 53 to 47% um, in favor of going with a one-club tournament. I think the novelty wears off after a few holes. I think it's fun for the one hole on something like this, but I think the novelty wears off after a few holes. Maybe. Yeah. You, you don't know until you try it, but yeah, just in my opinion, like it's fun because it's different and it's unique, but after a few holes, you're like, okay, I've, I've seen them chip, but... I'm going to see if I can get my buddies to play a one-club round 
I mean, at, at the golf course. It can't be much worse for some of us. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely <laughs> not. Pick six your, irons pick, all day. Pick your favorite club, Tom. And six iron all day. Yeah, you'll be in a. You'll probably play better than you do It'll pulling be, out the other stuff. Yeah, not hitting out of bounds as often with right. driver. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, good, good show, um, entertaining, and uh, like I said in the video that we posted yesterday on on Facebook and Instagram, I felt like you had DeChambeau, who's the better player right now out of the two, and you had Aaron Rodgers, who is you know four strokes better in, in his handicap index than Tom Brady is, and. It seemed to be evident at times, uh, Roger. They, Especially the, down the, the stretch. Yeah, down the stretch for sure. And uh, you know, Brady made some great shots throughout the course of the day. You, you can't take that away from him for sure. Um, yeah. But Rogers overall was a little bit more consistent and, and uh, helpful in um, keeping the team alive. They used his drive like six out of seven holes. Yeah, with DeChambeau, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, I think you know it showed out a little bit in the beginning. I think Phil and and Brady were a little more prepared, and when you get through nine holes, it was even. Um, well, 11 through 11 it was even still yeah and, those guys, and then then those guys really settled in you know yeah so i think you could see you know one of the angles i wanted to play was the experience of having done this before um and i think you could see it early on but i think phil and and brady failed to capitalize on some of those right opportunities and they settled in played golf and that was that good show overall though enjoy Keep really enjoyed it. i love them yeah um let's talk a little bit about the nba playoffs game one was last night uh, Tom and I were both on the Suns minus six. That line went down to minus four and a half with the four news of Giannis. Um, I bet it at minus six, minus five and a half, and minus four and a half last night. <laughs> I, I just kept firing on it throughout the course of the night as as the game got closer, and uh, the Suns end up coming out on top. Uh, you have Booker and Paul playing great basketball. Yeah, Giannis, you know, he performed maybe even better than expected, or he looked, you know, healthy, but he was on a bit of a minutes restriction. You could see he yeah. wasn't going to play, you know, 45 minutes in that game. As he continues to mend, uh, we'll see if he if that changes the outcome of the series here. If uh, if they're able to respond to what the Suns can do, uh, DeAndre Ayton looks like a. a potentially an all-star caliber player here which is what they thought they were getting when they drafted him and he's he's finally coming into his own and uh, some of the role players on the suns did a really great job but uh, it's it's really all about what chris paul and devin booker do in that backcourt yeah absolutely they control the flow of the game and one thing that was pointed out during the telecast that i like is maybe something that our our beloved new york knicks can take into consideration they're never without both of them when they rest Booker, Paul's out there. When they rest Paul, Booker's out there. So you have one guy you're confident in to play with the uh, – to run the offense through, and I think that's something that the Knicks struggle with. So I would like to see them take up that mantle a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it's, we're, we could be in for a fun series. I know it, it might take a little time um, for the, the Bucks to get rolling in the series, but, uh, you know, I, I think we could be in for a fun one here. I think that – they're, I don't think they're as bad as uh, what their performance looked like last night. So I'm excited to see kind of where this goes in games three and four. Yeah, and right now the Suns are at like five, minus five and a half for the th game Thursday for game two. Interesting line because uh, the second half, the Bucks kept it close. If you look at the numbers for the second half, it was about even. Um, right. You know, so we'll, we'll see if maybe they can – keep it a little closer early on they fell behind early and never really could could make it up so yeah yep so we're, we're looking at uh you know probably a fun series uh coming up um 
you know, in the NHL playoffs. We've got uh, currently game five is going. Tampa leading 3-1 in the series. This game is scoreless with uh, six minutes and change left here in the second period. So Montreal looking to stay alive against the Lightning. Uh, the Lightning have outshot them 16-13, to 13, but it's been really a pretty even and physical game here thus far. Yeah, very physical. It, you know, it, it would be fun to see the, the Canadians extend it a little more, um, but we'll see. Um, the chances are Lightning at home, this is a great opportunity for them to get that dramatic victory. And there's the first goal. As we're talking, Tampa Bay just got on the board, one nothing. Tampa Bay. 6.33 remaining in the second. So uh, the Lightning are uh, going to be in a good place here to try and hang on. I hope they put the locks on the defense here as uh, <laughs> I wagered under five goals in this game. So, um, so far, so good, I guess. Uh, next up, let's talk UFC 264, right? 264, yes. Um, Before we even get to the main event, we're, we're going to save that for last year. Let's talk about the rest of the fight card. And uh, what you see, Tom, and uh, th let's just run down the entire fight card here really quick. Yeah, I got the early prelims up right here. Um, I can't say half these names. Um, Jennifer Maya and nope, Jessica I. Jennifer oh. Maya and Jessica I, are, I mean, these are two top ten flyweights, and they're mm -hmm. in the early prelims. Let's start at 615. Uh, Amari Akhmedov against Brad Tavares. Two top 15 middleweights going at it. Uh, Zhalga Zumagulov against Jerome Rivera. Zumagulov almost had it. Not bad. You were close. He, uh, I've seen him fight a couple times. He's kind of nasty in his fights. He's yeah. He's a pressure guy. And Jerome Rivera is a submission guy. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, I remember watching him. Uh, it's a big spread, minus 360. Yeah, I don't think that he's uh, expected to compete, really. Um, he has 10 wins. Seven of those are submissions. He's lost three in a row. Uh, fights to Tyson Nam, Francisco Figueredo, and Odie Osborne. Um, so I don't think that he has a, a great <laughs> chance here. Does not sound like it. Uh, we've got uh, Ryan Hall against Ilya Tapuria. Uh, Trevin Giles against Drikas Duplessis. Uh, that should be a fun fight. I, I'm looking for. Oh, and Nico Price against Michael Pereira. Awesome. Uh, talk about a fun fight. And uh, the natural born killer. Yeah. Carlos Condit taking on Max Griffin. Um, you know, this is one where I nostalgia makes you want to bet on guys that, are, that you've seen for a long time, <laughs> yeah. but you know it's not the smart thing to do. Not usually, no. Usually they're in here for a reason. Yeah. And Nico Price always puts on great fights. So Yes. Um, and Pereira's game, so that, that's oh, a fun yeah. one to watch. And then the main card is, you know, fairly stacked. Yeah, you, you kick it off with uh, Sean O'Malley. Um, he's a monster favorite now as uh, Chris Moutinho is stepping in on short notice to take him on. Um, no UFC experience. Let, let me just take a quick look at Chris Moutinho. Yeah, he's like 10-4 and four or something. Yeah. I looked at it the other day. Yeah, I just wonder if he's fought anyone of significance. Um, I do not past. remember a fighter he, he's fought. Yeah, I don't see anything that... I know uh, the ref stood out more than anything to me because he had one with Dan Mergliata, if I remember correctly. His most recent <laughs> fight, yeah. He came out on top of Andrew Salas uh, via arm triangle. Um, he's got two straight wins. Um, he had two straight losses before that where he got knocked out. Um, not a good sign. Uh, if you're uh, prone to being finished, uh, Sean O'Malley is likely to finish him. 
Yeah. Um, so I, well, I would say. That be a fun way to kick off the show. A big sh- Sugar Shane win. Yeah. Sugar Sean win should be a lot of fun. And then we've got Arena Aldana against uh, Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, should be a very good fight at in the uh, women's bantamweight division. Um, I think these ladies are both ranked in the top five, right? Yeah, yeah. Aldana's an up-and-comer. I mean, she's definitely one who, with another victory, might be putting herself in, in line for a title shot even. Yeah. Um, Aldana, in her last uh, several fights here, let's see, she is... <clears throat> She's currently 12 and 6. Um, she lost to Holly Holm in a decision last time out, and she hasn't fought in 10 months or so. Uh, prior to that, she had uh, knocked out Ketlin Vieira and uh, won a decision against Vanessa Mello. Um, she lost to Raquel Pennington. She's fought a lot of good fighters. Her losses are to Leslie Smith, Caitlin Jukagian, Raquel Pennington, and Holly Holm. So the people that she loses to are pretty good. They are pretty good. And who's favored in that fight, is it? It's a slight favorite for Aldana. Yeah. And Yana Kunitskaya, let's just take a quick look at um, what she has done recently. And uh, she, her record is 14-5. Uh, and five. She's coming off back-to-back wins over Catlin Vieira and uh, Julia Stoliarenko. Um, she lost to Aspen Ladd, lost to <laughs> Cyborg. Um, no shame there. No. Um, Tanya Avenger, she got submitted by... She's got some wins against, you know, she, she tends to get decision victories, um, particularly of late against better competition. Yeah. Um, but she's been knocked out a few times and, and choked out, so um, should be a, a decent fight. And then you get Ty Tuavasa against Greg Hardy. This is one of the ones where they, they go, hey, we're going to have a lot of eyes on the sport. We yeah. got Connor fighting. There's going to be a lot of casual fans. Let's put two bombers. Yeah. In the main card, so we guarantee some fireworks. Yeah, you've got twelve and three Tai Tuivasa uh, taking bam. on seven and three. Whoa, big everyone, flash of lightning! Is everyone okay? Yeah, big flash of lightning <laughs> right in front of our face. Holy cow! Ooh, as you can hear. I'm assuming you guys can hear that. <laughs> yeah, still going. Whoo. That was a doozy. So, Taito Avasa started his career out. Uh, he was 9-0. and Then he lost three straight fights to Junior Dos Santos, Blagoy Ivanov, and Sergey Spivak. All right. Then he knocked out Stefan Struve and knocked out Harry Hunsucker, uh, both in the first round in his last two fights. Uh, he did get a win over our Andre Arlovsky earlier in his career, so yeah. he's fought some good fighters. So. Uh, Greg Hardy, this is I would would you call this a step up in competition for Greg Hardy? Yeah, I think it's a step up in competition, uh, but also not like a huge step where right. you think he's gonna be completely outclassed. This is a guy who has fought a similar road as him with some big wins, some not you know some performances that are probably not the best, but still somebody who has more experience than him. Yeah, I mean Hardy has uh, one of his losses is a DQ for an illegal knee. Oh, I hated um, that. Yeah, but he's got knockout wins over Dmitry Smolyakov, Juan Adams. Um, there was a no contest uh, against Ben Sassoli. I don't know what yeah. the outcome was in that fight. Um, he beat Jorgen DeCastro, knocked out Maurice Green. Um, his most recent, his two losses that, that were legitimate losses, Alex Volkov, uh, there's no shame there. And then he got knocked out by Marcin Tabora, and there's no shame there either. 
so uh, you know, Greg Hardy is uh, certainly a uh, it, he's a puncher. You know, he, he, yeah. he's got he's got six knockouts. He had one fight go to decision so far. I can't wait to watch this one. Yeah, it's a it's the great it's a great kind of fight to get set for the main two bouts after that, which are Gilbert Burns and uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at welterweight. Um, this fight's a lot of fun too. I'm a little surprised on the line here with Thompson being the favorite. Um, it's a it's a classic kind of striker versus guy who wants to get you to the ground and kind of grind her out. Yeah, it's especially considering when you saw after Gilbert Burns lost to Dan Hooker, he got knocked out by Dan Hooker. He went on a run where he beat Olivier Oban Mercier, Mike Davis, Alexei Konchenko, Gunnar Nelson, Damian Maya. Tyron Woodley. Yeah. Then he loses to Kamaru Usman. There's there's no shame in that. That's the chance. The guy the guy's unbelievable, right? He really is unbelievable. So Stephen Thompson, he's had his moments where he's struggled as well, um, in recent times. So I don't know that I see this as anything more than an even fight. And and Thompson, obviously, he's going to try and stay away. Yeah. He's going to try he's and good strike at it as well. With he's he's yeah. long. He uses a jab very well for a, a big fighter, especially at the welterweight level. You don't usually see a big dis- discrepancy in height like this. Right. So this is a guy who's he's got losses to uh, Tyron. He lost to Tyron Woodley um, via majority decision um, after a draw against Tyron Woodley prior to that. Yeah, those were some battles too. They were. Um, he beat Jorge Masvidal in a you know decision, picking him apart. Got beat by Darren Till. Got knocked out by Anthony Pettis. Then he he went to his game again and picked apart Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. Um, Jeff Neal's very good too. Yeah. But it, it's these guys that want to stand and strike with him that he tends to uh, perform very well against. So I, I'm looking for. I think the style. Yeah. Lends to Gilbert Burns here a Gilbert little bit Burns better. Gilbert Burns is not afraid to take a punch or two from Thompson to get in close either. Like that. That's one of those things. He's just. He's not afraid. He's going to stick his nose in there. He's going to grind it out. Even if he can't get him to the um, to the floor, he's going to put him up against the cage. Uh, stylistically, I, I, I'm probably going to want to be on birds, especially if I get plus money on it. Yeah, I'm a, yeah I like this a lot, um, Gilbert Burns in this spot. So um, Then, obviously, the main event, Dustin Poirier against Conor McGregor. And, um, you know, what's to say? This is the third fight between these guys. McGregor came out on top years ago now. Uh, Poirier, he, he was dominant with that leg kick in their last fight. Yeah. This is obviously an Achilles heel for uh, Conor McGregor. He needs to be able to defend that. Yep. And ideally, if Conor's going to win this fight, he's got to land some big stuff early. Yeah, he's he got to put him back. He can't go slow. He can't try and drag this out. Man, this lightning show is something out the window That's right now. easy right now. I'm sitting here holding on to electronics, wearing a headphone and everything else. Yeah. For the love of the game. You know it. Make sacrifices. So. Uh, and then to add the fuel to the, the fight, I mean, if it wasn't big enough, Dana White just says the winner gets to fight Charles Oliveira for the championship. Like, this is a, yeah. it's a title qualifier here. I think it was something that McGregor and Dustin were kind of pushing for. Is like, hey, we want to run this back. We're going to make you a pile of money. Right. How about you, you feed us the champ? Um, 
So, I mean, I can't wait to see it. it it's one of these things, as a guy who's, who's liked Connor for this whole time, you want him to, to get a big win so this, this thing keeps going. I feel like another loss here might be the end. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'll it'll necessarily be the end. It's going to have to be on his terms if it's the end, because the UFC will keep running him out there. Oh yeah, you know, because he's their he's their biggest cash cow, and it's not close. So I'm I'm interested to see how he performs. I don't want him to get run out of the building. That's yeah, for sure. Because fast he doesn't knockout. need it. You know what I mean? He doesn't he doesn't need to go out there and get his teeth kicked in and completely tarnish his legacy. They've had some funny back and forth where. Uh joking around or like poking fun at each other for like take trying to take downs and connor's like let's not do any takedowns yeah <laughs> you know? and uh poirier's like if you don't want to get taken down stop it like yeah so they've been a little back and forth it should be a lot of but again uh it's as big as it gets as far as names with when connor is fighting for it absolutely so when it comes to bets on the main card on the fight card in general it doesn't have yeah. to be main card um, there's a couple of people that I, you know, I really like. I think Tom's in my corner with Gilbert Burns here at plus yeah, 135. Uh, that's probably my favorite play uh, for sure. And then as you look through it, you've got a couple of fights that are really close. Greg Hardy and Tai Tuavasa, that's a puncher's chance either way, right? Um, Greg Hardy has a chance to win that fight at plus 105. Um, I'm concerned that... If he gets clipped, he's going to fall against somebody that punches as hard as Tuavasa does. Yeah, I, I think that one, it's almost, what's the uh, what's the under in that one and a half? Under one and a half, yeah. plus 155. I might take the over and just hope that they dance at each other for a round. Yeah. Um, Dreykus Duplessis against Trevin Giles. That one's basically an even fight, minus 110, minus 120. And uh, Yana Kunitskaya and Irina Aldana, same scenario, minus 110, minus 120. So um, I'll probably be on Irina Aldana in that fight. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's one minus 120 that I would play. And then I, you know, Nico Price keeps losing, but he, he fights in such a crazy, entertaining fashion, and he's so dangerous uh, that I might take a shot on him against Pereira here at plus 125. Pereira's pretty good. He is. He's very good. Yeah. It's... Uh, Price just pulls off some crazy stuff at times. I get a feeling that he could be uh, he could be controlled in this fight, unfortunately. But yeah. um, plus one twenty five, I might take a stab on him. So, you know, those are just a few. Omari Akhmedov against Brad Tavares. I can see myself betting on Akhmedov here at plus one thirty five. Um, when you're looking for the plus money plays here, that's that's probably one that I would go with. Um, other than that, you know, I, I'm I'm leaning towards betting on Poirier at minus one thirty five as I just think that he's got more left in the tank than Connor does at this yeah. point. When they met the first time, Poirier was a very green fighter still. Yeah. So um, it's almost tough to to count that one as, as taken into consideration. The, the second fight was so much more recent. The first one was, what, a, five, six years ago, you know? So right. Instead of a few months ago. So I think it, it, it's tough to discount um, what happened the second time comparatively. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's going to wrap up our UFC 264 preview. I think we'll probably have some preview videos, some pick videos for you with details oh, yeah. on the fights that we like on Saturday. Yes. So uh, we'll, we'll jump those out before the card gets started, um, and you guys will be able to see where our action is going to be on Saturday night. Um, next on our docket tonight... Um, we're going to talk about the fantasy wide receiver rankings. Um, so what we're going to do is take a quick break right now, and uh, we'll come back, 
and talk fantasy. It's going to be uh, all football here on out. So yeah. uh, fantasy wide receivers, Conference USA preview, and NFC East preview. So uh, we'll be back with you in just a moment. Welcome back. And uh, it's time to talk fantasy wide receivers, Tom. And uh, let's jump right in. And I'll start with my number 20 wide fantasy wide receiver this year. Uh, I am going to go with that number 20, Curtis Samuel, uh, change of environment, uh, going to Washington, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, throwing the ball around there. I get the feeling that uh, Samuel will be used in many different capacities in that yeah. offense there. I like Antonio Gibson and Curtis Samuel both having that kind of Swiss Army knife ability. And I think Samuel will be an integral part of that offense, uh, catching screen passes, and uh, he's got the speed to get over the top. So. Uh, I really like what they've got going on there. So Curtis Samuel at number 20. So uh, what do you got at 20 and 19, Tom? 20, I have Robert Woods. Um, this is a guy who uh, I think 20 is about where you want him. He, he doesn't have the upside to be one of the top five, but he's consistently, you know, 70 catches, close to, uh, right around that 1,000-yard mark, um, a little touchdown light, but I'm a big fan of his consistency. Um, so I have him at 20. 19, I have Adam Thielen. Uh, this one's going to be interesting to see kind of how that pans out um, with him and Justin Jefferson, both full season. Uh, right. It should be fun to watch. Uh, Minnesota has a, a good chance to take that division with Aaron Rodgers, Hemming, and Hahn still. So with Delvin Cook running the ball, that always allows either Thielen or Jefferson to get a one-on-one. -on -one. So yeah. give me Thielen at 19. At 19, I have Julio Jones in the change of scenery as well uh, going to Tennessee. I think that uh, he's going to have a, a good number one option across from him in, in A.J. Brown. And I think Julio Jones will, will do well because Tannehill's not afraid to take the shots down the field. Um, I think this is a good, a good fit for him right now. And I think this is a team that's going to have to play from behind a, a considerable amount, so they may have to throw it a little more than they have in the past because yeah. that defense is scary scary bad this that, year. Yeah, that defense went from being like a, such a strength two years ago yeah. to now it's you know it might be a little suspect. Absolutely. At 18 for me is Kenny Galladay uh, going to the Giants. I think that he just clearly becomes a number one wide receiver in that room. Yeah. Um, so I think that his target share will be high, and that's why I have Kenny Galladay at number 18. 18, I have DJ Moore. Um, I think this guy's been fairly consistent, um, taking a step forward last year. Hope to see that continue. Without Curtis Samuel, he may be getting more of the, the lion's share here, which um, may not be the greatest, but right and then kenny galladay have at 17 i think he was he did well as the number one in detroit i just don't buy daniel jones so that's why i have him lower than probably a lot of people do obviously kevin had him at 18 so we're in the same boat here yeah. good wide receiver he's going to get a lot of volume i just i don't know about daniel know. jones so he has the potential to be more than than yes here at the bottom so he's to me, I, I think that just the target share puts him in this area. Yeah. Um, if things go really well and Daniel Jones progresses, yeah. uh, this would be a, a guy that could jump up closer to the top 10. Number 17 for me, uh, Jamar Chase. Uh, this will be my lone rookie on the list t uh, today. And uh, I have him uh, slotted in here at 17. I just think that that natural uh, connection with Joe Burrow, uh, somebody who he's worked with in the past, uh, will allow him to be quickly uh, ascend to the number one role there in Cincinnati, uh, you know, along with T. Higgins, who had a, a nice season yeah. uh, last year. Um, he potentially could be higher than this, but rookies don't often have, you know, there's a learning curve, and, and I don't expect 
a monster season from a rookie. You know, you don't get many seasons like Justin Jefferson had last year. Right. So I expect uh, to see a, a really good solid season for Chase and a good share of targets as well. Um, number 16 for me is C.D. Lamb. Uh, you get a healthy uh, Dak Prescott back, and uh, I think this is a, a guy that uh, he's going to be your deep threat, your explosion player. Uh, he's going to have boomer bust games. Uh, so that's the reason that he's a little bit lower on the list because I don't expect him to get all of the, you know, a heavy target load. There's a lot of target opportunity in Dallas, um, but he's uh, he's certainly going to be your explosion player out of that group. I have uh, Chris Godwin at 16. I think that at Tampa, I think he's got the talent to be up higher, but I think with the amount they're going to spread the ball around in Tampa Bay with Evans and Godwin. Um, and uh, Antonio Brown being there for a full off season and full, for the full season, I think you're going to see it, you know, just down a little bit from what it was two years ago. And then I have Julio Jones at 15. I think the one, number one reason for me is the red zone targets. Um, they lost Jonu Smith, which was their their guy for for these. Um, with him being gone, they really didn't have anybody that was a go to guy in the red zone. And Julio Jones with his big frame has been very good at, at getting open in the red zone, even though Matt Ryan doesn't like to throw it to him. Right. Uh, so he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. I think they'll have some design plays to get him the ball in the red zone. At 15, I have Terry McLaurin. Uh, I expect him to continue to progress forward, and I think he's got the most capable quarterback that he's seen yet um, with Fitzpatrick there in, in Washington. So I expect McLaurin to continue to step forward, and with the addition of uh, Curtis Samuel and the – development of Antonio Gibson and his talents there I think that uh, his performance will continue to climb uh, throughout the course of the season uh, 14 for me is Allen Robinson uh, because I think he's the only true target in Chicago uh, you know he, he will continue to be the primary target there he's a very very good player who has kind of flown under the radar a little bit of, yeah. of fantasy players for a number of years now but this is a guy with, with all the talent in the world, and uh, he's, he's shown it. He played very well last year, and we'll see what happens with the quarterback situation. That's what holds him back from being higher on this list. I have Amari Cooper at 14. Um, Amari Cooper is going to get a ton of targets again in Dallas. Uh, Dak and him seem to uh, work well together. Um, you'll, you'll get some of those boom and bust games with Amari. He'll have three touchdowns and then have a touchdown for a few weeks. Uh, but at the end of the season, it's always a, a really good output. And then I have Mr. Consistent Keenan Allen at 13. It's just, I mean, he's always open. He's always getting the ball. He is constant. I mean, if you're on a point-per-reception league, he's your guy. Yeah. 13 for me is Michael Thomas, speaking of PPR league guys. Yeah. Um, question is, you know, what's going to happen with the quarterback situation there? I think that he's better off if he ends up with uh, Jameis playing quarterback there. Um, just because – He'll take the chat, the shots to uh, Thomas. The thing is, Thomas doesn't catch a lot of stuff downfield. Um, he catches everything that comes near him, though. So um, this is a PPR guy that, that will uh, gobble up plenty of catches and plenty of targets in this offense. I just get the feeling that if it's Taysom Hill, you'll see a lot more of Alvin Kamara featured in the in the passing game and the running game um, and some quarterback run stuff going on that, that might reduce some of his targets. So just some of those questions bring him down the list a little bit for me. Uh, number 12, I have A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is uh, immensely talented. He has explosion plays like crazy, uh, big frame, fast guy, strong guy, um, makes some unbelievable plays, and he has the potential to be higher on this list. So uh, we'll kind of see what happens. I think that he could have 
uh, an uptick in production this season actually because of the again the concerns about whether or not Tennessee is going to be able to go with the ground and pound style because they may be trailing more than they uh, than they have in the past. Uh, Twelve is where I have Terry McLaurin. I, I think that um, we're we're seeing a receiver who's been getting better, who now has a quarterback who's willing to cut it loose to him um, on a consistent basis. And with some consistent play at quarterback, um, you could, I mean, there, there's no telling how much he could really do, especially with, like you had said, with Curtis Curtis Samuel getting that extra wide receiver on the other side um, should open things up for him a little more. Scary Terry. Yeah. Uh, Mike Evans, I have at 11. Um, this is a guy who has a little bit of everything. Big playability, can go up and get it. Um, he's big enough to make those physical catches. Um, there's not a lot he cannot do from a wide receiver position. It just, again, it becomes the ball sharing, and yeah. Tampa Bay makes it a little less, so I have them at 11. I have uh, back-to-back Tampa receivers here at 11 and 10, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, I have Godwin just slightly above Evans because I feel like he might get some more, a few more of the targets uh, in a fully healthy season. So um, I, I kind of like these guys together with a, f- a full off season with Tom Brady uh, being able to, uh, you know, having won the Super Bowl with this group in the past. Um, now you've got a, a team that, they've stuck it together here and um these two guys are i think it's so hard to separate them uh when it comes to their performance and honestly in in my list i feel like anybody 10 through 20 it's not a huge separation amongst these players so it's really about uh, matchups and finding opportunities for these players so um chris godwin at 10 mike evans at 11 at 10 is where i have aj brown um i think this is uh i think he's still gonna be the number one wide receiver in tennessee don't think you're getting the Julio Jones of old. Um, he'll still be good. He'll still make plays. But I think A.J. Brown is the is the one they're going to want to feed the ball to. His explosion after the catch is pretty fun to watch as yeah. long as he's not playing your team. Number nine is where I have Allen Robinson. I think either whether they, they go with the kid Fields or even Andy Dalton, I think you're going to get a little more consistency. Trubisky had these crazy peaks and valleys. Yeah. Um, Allen Robinson with some consistency should be a very productive and again there's no one else there right no one else there that you're scared taking reps away from him at nine for me is keenan allen uh i think that his uh career trajectory is just gonna maintain here at at his peak Uh, he's just so good at route running he has the ability to get open all the time and i think with some more protection for for justin herbert in year two uh, I expect to see an uptick in Herbert's performance and Keenan Allen's numbers as long as he stays healthy. Should be uh, should be very strong. At number eight, I have DK Metcalf. <clears throat> DK Metcalf is he's another guy that you can have a monster week out of him, or he can be virtually silent for for extended periods of time. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you just see him. The the plays end up being drawn up for Tyler Lockett. You it's know, that same with that whole offense, though. Really, yeah. it's that's the scary part. Yeah, so uh, his lack of consistency there is why DK Metcalf is down a little bit. He has the the potential to be a, a number one receiver, uh, but yeah. again, a guy that it's just there's so many down weeks um, yeah. and then so many explosion weeks. It's tough with the wide receiver group uh, in Seattle. I have a hard time moving <laughs> those guys to the top. So um, eight is where I have Michael Thomas. Um, for the four games he played last year with Taysom Hill, he actually averaged 85 yards per game. Um, which is one yard, it was like one or two yards short of his career average. Um, so I, I'm not as concerned with who gets the quarterback position um, for him. I think it's it's business as usual. He's going to get his 10 to 11 targets. He's going to get his 7 to 8 catches, and 
Um, he's going to do his thing. The, the difference between Michael Thomas being the top five or Michael Thomas being five to ten will be the touchdowns. Does he get a bunch of touchdowns or not? Um, seven's where I have DK Metcalf for the same exact reasons you were saying. Um, all the talents in the world, I think, over the last two years, you've seen him become a better wide receiver. Um, as, as a rookie, he started off just with this amazing physical talent, and I think you started to see him being able to run more routes, working better with Russell Wilson. I just don't trust that offense um, for consistency to get him the ball that often. Sometimes it just seems like they're in a they got a, a ten to six lead, so they just take the air out of the ball and yeah. pound the rock for no for no reason, even though they have all these fun weapons. Right, absolutely. Um, number seven for me. This is a guy that I'm higher on than most. Um, I have uh, I have Amari Cooper here at seven, yeah. and the reason I have Amari Cooper here at seven is because I think that you've got Ceedee Lamb, who's now you know going into his second season. You've got Dak Prescott coming back for a full healthy season. Uh, I expect the, a huge number of targets for Amari Cooper this year, mm. and uh, you can't you can't focus on Amari Cooper because you have to be worried about the top with uh, C.D. Lamb, you know, and, and you've got the run game with Ezekiel Elliott. This just sets up so incredibly well uh, in my eyes for uh, Amari Cooper to just have a monster season. He's so good at, at creating separation, and uh, he'll he'll catch a ton of those dig routes and crossers, and uh, his target share I just expect to be very high. So Amari Cooper at seven. Yeah, the thing with the, the Cowboys wide receivers that scared me is there's so many. Yeah. Um, you got to spread that ball out a little bit. And, you know, I'm not quite sure that's going to look like Gallup is good. C.D. Lamb is exciting player. I'm excited to see him with Dak for a full season. And then Amari Cooper, uh, I'm just not sure how that's going to work out. Same reason Godwin and Evans are down on my list. That When you have that many mouths to feed kind of deal, you know, it's, yeah. it's tough to see. Absolutely. Um, number six for me is Calvin Ridley. Uh, this is a guy I wanted to put him up a little higher on the list, but I, I haven't figured out in my mind yet if this is going to be a detriment um, not yeah. having Julio Jones on the other side, or if it's going to be he just gets that many more targets. So yeah. I think it's probably going to be a combination of both. There's going to be more focus on him defensively, um, but I think he's still talented enough to create the separation and, and get plenty of those catches. So um, I slotted him in here at six. I have Justin Jefferson at six, um, obviously after their amazing rookie season, um, with Thielen presumably playing all 17 games with him. He may lose a little bit of the target share, but he's still so explosive and so good. I expect him to be knocking on that top five door. Um, this is somebody who could finish as high as number one in the, in the fantasy league um, with the explosion plays he has. It's just the yards and the touchdowns come with all that. So six for him. Five, I have DeAndre Hopkins. Um, maybe the most talented wide receiver in the NFL physically, but... A little bit of a question mark. I love Kyler Miller Murray for fantasy. He's not always the most accurate passer. And again, they're not always the most consistent in getting Hopkins the ball. Um, I, watching the Bills game against him, he disappeared for, you know, obviously not long enough, but he disappeared for a long stretch of that game where he just he didn't have a catch and they weren't throwing it to him. Um, so they're willing to look away from him. Yeah. Uh, number five for me is De <clears throat> Devontae Adams. Uh, only because of question marks around whether Aaron Rodgers yeah. is going to be there or not. He he would be probably number three on my list, or or you know competing with Stephon Diggs for number two. I'm just giving away my my Jeez, list this here. Guy. 
I know. <laughs> but I have met five uh, because of uh, the fact that I, there's uncertainty around whether or not Rodgers is going to be back. So uh, that that's where he slots in here for me. Number four is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, guy is still a, a machine out yeah. there. Uh, you know, he's, he's a very good performer. He can make big plays. Um, he, he gets uh, a good share of targets, and I think that he belongs here in the top five. Yeah, we actually have five four just flipped. I have Devonte Adams at four. I think, you know, you have to just assume Rodgers is going to play until you know he's not. Yeah. And this is why, guys, we, we don't draft yet for fantasy. Right. We, we hold off another month to see how this works out. Um, if he's if Rodgers is back, perfect. He's in your top five. If not, uh, you got to really think about bringing him down a bunch. Um, but I have him at four. And then I have Kelvin Ridley at three. I think last year you could see with Julio out for for stretches, he was able to step up, had some really big games without Julio in the lineup. Um, so it gives me the confidence to think, yes, he's going to get a lot of those those targets, and yes, he can handle that workload. Yeah. Um, at number three for me, I have Justin Jefferson here. Uh, I expect continued development out of him as a, as a player. Uh, you've got Adam Thielen on the other side. The play-action game to him over the top, you know, he, he had a monster rookie season, and you don't often see regression from wide receivers from year one to year two. You see them step forward. Uh, so he, with the chance that he had to learn a little bit, um, get even better at his craft in the off, with a full off season, I, I love Justin Jefferson. I think he has potential to be wide receiver one in the NFL here. Um, so he, he lands at number three for me. And at number two, I already, uh, you know, kind of – I didn't really bury the lead on this one. It was Stephon Diggs at two for me. Yeah. Um, just incredibly talented guy. He's open all the time. Not uh, enough if you ask him. Yeah. And a hard worker and focused on, you know, doing the right thing. I was concerned about his uh, potential uh, diva tendencies uh, coming out of Minnesota. But it, turned, it, it could have just been a, a locker room – issue there in minnesota at the time uh because he's been nothing but a great teammate in buffalo yeah i have stefan at at number two i mean the amount of 150 targets last year yeah plus that's crazy amount for um a wide receiver to get and when you have the talent 150 receptions turn into a monster year um and they haven't done anything to the offense to make you think that's going to change so you got to have them up near the top and the number one i have tyreek hill um you just can't be stopped there's uh, you know you want to play a safety over the top Go ahead. He's going to break it off and do a 15-yard cross or catch it and still beat you. Um, you know, I saw that when he, they played the Bills this year. You know, they were playing safeties deep, and so he just ran a bunch of crossers where you can't keep up with them across the field either. And um, his ability to do that consistently week in, week out, even with people targeting him and doubling him, puts him near the top. Explosion. I mean, yeah. every play could be a touchdown. Yeah, and uh, I think that's where he has to be slotted right now. You know, it's just – He's so dangerous. Tyreek Hill can can catch anything. Um, he's got the deep ball ability. He's got the screen ability. You know, yeah. and everything in between. So, yeah. um, you know, as long as he stays out of trouble and, and nothing goes sideways for him, stays healthy. That this is a guy that he's got the best quarterback in the league potentially. Yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. the most explosive player has the best quarterback in the league. So right. it's it's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is our top twenty fantasy wide receiver preview let's now talk about conference usa tom um and jump right in with uh the east division of conference usa and the marshall thundering herd let's go with them to start with um this is uh, a team coached uh by charles huff and uh their returning quarterback grant wells is perhaps the best quarterback in the conference 
Um, this yeah, as we go, sorry to cut you off. As, as we go through these teams, you'll hear a lot of them are being shuffled in and out. So there's there's not a lot of consistency at quarterback in this conference. It's one thing that I noticed a lot uh, looking into it last night. Yeah, um, you know, and and the interesting thing here in Marshall is uh, Doc Holliday is gone, um, and Huff takes over. Huff is 38 years old, and uh, the thought is that he's going to be very aggressive, very attacking in his style, um, a little more modern with his offense, and he has a lot of talent there in town. So uh, I would expect this Marshall team to be very strong. They got off to a 7-0 and start last year uh, before losing to Rice, UAB, and UB. So, you know, three straight losses to end the season. But uh, this is a talented group returning this year, and I expect them to compete for the top of the East Division. Yeah, I mean, the 7-3 and three last year, they had a great start. Uh, it's one of those things where th this team has the experienced quarterback, some explosive wide receivers, and had a great defense, only allowed 20.7 points per game. Uh, pretty good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Florida Atlantic, Tom, tell me what you see about Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is another one where they're going to have a little bit of a turnover at quarterback. It uh, looks like Nikasi Perry Jr. seems to be the odds-on favorite to uh, come in and, and take that position. Um, he's transferred from Miami. A uh, lot of things to like about this team. Their schedule is a little crazy. They start off at Florida, um, but they're returning a ton of players. I have it listed as 10 offense and 10 defense. Um, this is a team, Willie Taggart, his second year. Um, little up and down last year, five and four, but that happens a lot. Coaches in their first year, um, but being able to bring in that talent, a, a quarterback from the University of Miami, bringing him to Conference USA could be a big boon to uh, kind of straighten some things out. Yeah, uh, no question about it, and that's that's a big add for them uh, to get someone who's had experience playing in the ACC and uh, had flashes. So. Um, I look forward to seeing what this team can do because core, poor quarterback play was the holdup for them yeah. offensively last year. Um, they're returning a lot on the defensive side of the ball, and the defense was, uh, you know, very good. They were they were top five in the conference um, in a number of categories. So I think that if you can get better quarterback play here, this is a group that can compete to win that that East Division. Yeah, I mean they ran for 180 yards per game last year, um, so that was not the problem, but passing the ball rough yeah yeah it wasn't so good their their passing game was yeah. a bit of a problem 52 percent so. completion percentage only 200 um only 1300 yards passing averaging 144 yards a game yeah so it's not gonna get it done let's go to western kentucky um, the hilltoppers the hilltoppers and they've added uh they brought in uh zach kitley uh who is the uh you know, basically going to take over as the offensive coordinator here. And they brought he brought with him from Houston Baptist, Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi is the guy who threw for 500-plus yards um, in, in a monster game for Houston Baptist last year. Um, he was a very, very strong performer. This is a guy that, uh, you know, is going to step right in and take that job. I'm sure of that. Uh, and, and I think this team offensively they were not good yeah they, they were pretty bad they, they were really bad offensively and defensively they were okay so the question is is can you know tyson helton and uh this group with uh with now bailey zappi and a new like explosive high-powered offense um can they can they turn it around on that side of the ball uh, i think they can they had a lot of turnover on defense um they're not returning a ton of starters it doesn't look like so 
you know, and, and Tyrell Pigram, he he was okay. He just he just wasn't great. You know, he he wasn't explosive. He couldn't get anything going in the passing game. Um, he took off running periodically and had some success doing that. But Bailey Zappi is is really going to uh, get some bring some life to that offense. Yeah. Pigram was was the epitome of a game manager last year. Yeah, didn't turn the ball over, but didn't make many things happen. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would project them in the middle of the conference somewhere with the potential to be higher if uh, the offense really gets rolling. Yeah, if the quarterback clicks. Let's go to Charlotte. And uh, right now, I'm in. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't know. It's nice here in the summer. I don't know if I'd yeah. want to go to Charlotte. So, uh, coached by Will Healy. Um, this is a team that will return their starting quarterback, Chris Reynolds. Um, he's a senior. And uh, they, have, they have, you know, last year's performance, if, if you go through it, they went 2-4, and four, uh, lost to App State, lost to Florida Atlantic, lost to Duke, lost to Western Kentucky. So not a lot of great performances there. Their wins no. came at North Texas and against UTEP. And uh, they got rolled a couple times as defensively, well. Defensively, they struggled too. Yes. So, you know, that 10th in the conference in scoring defense, 10th in this conference in stopping the run, they're going to need to improve on that side of the ball if they're going to take a step forward here. Yeah, there's not much to get too excited about with the, the Charlotte 49ers here. I think it's it's one of those things they're kind of hoping at the development of their own players. Um, they are returning a lot on offense, but defense seems to be a little bit in the weeds still. Yeah. Um, I just don't see a lot. I don't have a lot of hope no. for Charlotte here. So uh, let's go to Middle Tennessee State. And uh, this is a team, you know, they're coached by Rick Stock still. He's been there for 15 years, um, 94 and 92 in his 15 years. Um, he, you know, he had uh, Luke Stock still playing quarterback for him for a few years, and they were really good when he had his son playing quarterback. Um, they're competitive every year. Last year they had Asher O'Hara, who was a really good player. He he had a nice season at quarterback. He transferred to Sacramento State to play with his brother, yeah, uh, which is an FCS school, and uh, they've replaced him with Bailey Hockman, uh, who you may have seen get a few starts for NC State. So Hockman passed for two thousand yards and thirteen touchdowns um, last season. So I think this is a this is a nice add for them at quarterback, and I think they return quite a few pieces on the offensive side of the ball uh, that can be helpful. They just they need to. They had no running game at all last year, really, on the offensive side. Um, they do return uh, Chayton Mobley, uh, who was their leading rusher last year, it looks like, and they have Martel Petaway also in that backfield, so they have some experience. And uh, they returned some some three three of their receivers last year, four of their receivers from last year that are really talented guys. So um, I think the offense could take some steps forward here. Yeah, this is a team that's kind of hard to predict. That had a rough season last year. Um, they allowed 222 yards a game on the ground yeah. on defense, uh, but they are bringing back 10 defensive starters, nine on offense. One of the offensive additions we've just talked about is quarterback, also bringing in a new offensive coordinator, hoping to really spread it out with Brent Deerman. Um, all about throwing the ball. Yeah, I, I, this is another team that I, you know, you kind of project in the middle of the pack here. Um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, should Hockman have a good season? Could could potentially yes exactly uh, give them a little boost, but defensively they've got to improve because that was they were pathetic last year. They, <laughs> yeah. they were in the in the bottom bottom third in the nation in most defensive categories, so not not great. Not great. FIU, <laughs> so um, FIU is an interesting program with Butch Davis there. Um, 
you know, Butch Davis has been around. He, he's 86 and 64 in his career, 23 and 21 at FIU. Uh, looks like he's returning a lot of his production. So the question is, can they step forward from the season that they had last year where they went winless, 0-5, um, lost at Liberty in a close game, yeah. uh, lost to Middle Tennessee, lost to Jacksonville State, lost to Florida Atlantic, and lost to Western Kentucky. So, you know, they ranked 13th in the conference and number 121 nationally in passing offense, yeah. uh, number 122 nationally in total offense. 45% completion percentage for 123 yards a game through the air. Really, really bad. That's not so, good in high school anymore. <laughs> it's not. And uh, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know what to expect here at the quarterback position. Um, do, we, do we know who, who does Phil Steele see as uh, or project to kind of take the reins there at, at FIU? Is he it, thinks Max uh, Bortenschlager he has as his guy. Yeah. Um, but he did point out that he really did not have much to go on um that they had three guys play last year um and none of them were impressive so it's kind of like well this is the the guy that we played the least last year so let's give him the shot yeah and he's a senior and if he yep. were if he were good um he would have already had an opportunity <laughs> yeah at the position 284 so. yards uh two touchdowns one pick 46 percent completion percentage in his time last season so yeah not great um, defensively they weren't strong either this is, a, this is a team that you can look toward, to be towards the bottom. I expected <laughs> Butch Davis to be able to recruit. You know, I really did. I thought he would be able to recruit and get some guys there and really pick up the scraps from the big schools in Florida. And it uh, uh, looks like uh, we, gotta, we have a Stanley Cup champion here. We do. The Tampa Bay Lightning close the deal and win the Stanley Cup. And my under five bet looks to be uh, <laughs> like it was comfortable here. Huh? It's a little easy. I like that. I like when that happens. All right. So we had FIU, and uh, finally we'll talk about Old Dominion. So Old Dominion, last season, they play. Oh, they didn't play. They opted out of the season. After uh, 2019, uh, they had one win. So the question yeah. is, what what are we going to get out of it? This is the hardest team to really uh, – get any kind of feel for and you're not going to get one out of their first game because they're going to go get stomped at wake forest yeah so and they're returning three starters from defense uh four starters on offense um i i really have no idea what to expect out of this group and i would def defer to the experts like phil Steele to, <laughs> to yeah. give us an idea of what he thinks this group could have so he, he points to two things one that's going to be rebuilding don't expect too much but two they did bring in a UCF transfer, Daniel Mack, to play quarterback. He expects him to start. Um, he has some experience. His numbers at UCF, 938 yards passing, 54% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, two picks, and 500 yards rushing on. Um, so definitely somebody who can move the ball uh, through the air on the ground, hopefully giving them something dynamic because this offense in 2019 was trash. Yeah, not good. So... You know, we'll see kind of <laughs> what happens here. This is, again, a brutally difficult team to project. This conference is kind of – it's it's lowering itself. Like it, some of the ones we've talked to before are historically considered lower than Conference USA, but this conference has fallen by the wayside. I feel like it's the softest conference in, in yeah. college football right Sun now. Sunbelt, Mac, they, they seem to pull off big upsets. Nothing yeah. really comes from these guys anymore. No, I – 
not uh, not the biggest fan of the of Conference USA. Uh, let's go now to uh, the West Division, and we'll start with UAB. Yes, um, UAB. They come off a season um, where they went. Uh, what they have five, six, six and three on the season with losses to uh, close loss to Louisiana, close loss to Louisiana Tech in overtime, um, and a loss at Miami. So. Their losses were to good football programs. I mean, they won the Conference USA title last year. Yeah. They're bringing a lot of people back. And, uh, you know, really it's a it's a program that's been on the – since their return, um, you know, head coach Bill Clark, I mean, there's a lot of talk about him getting a bigger job. Yeah. But he's done a fantastic job here with this program and uh, with all the returning production that they have. you got to expect this team to continue to compete to, to win this conference. Who do you see uh, the starting quarterback? It, it said that um, Tyler Johnson yep. is uh, he's going to hold off uh, Bryson Lucero. Yes, um, Lucero throws too many picks. Yeah, seven touchdowns, eight picks, ain't, ain't getting it done. Yeah, so even though the quarterback position was not really settled, uh, they still managed to win the conference. Uh, they didn't pass the ball great, but defensively they were very strong. They had the number one pass defense in the conference USA, number seven nationally, um, number two. Uh, total defense and uh, you know they were number two in rushing defense so that yeah. they, they did a, a tremendous job on that side of the ball and then they can run it so you know running the ball playing good defense that's and always a recipe for success in in these smaller conferences and breaking in a brand new stadium this year so yeah which is good for them that's it's, it's great fun. when a small school gets the opportunity to do that you know it's it, it's very nice for them to to yeah. get a new stadium and, and have someplace exciting to play they ain't cheap no Let's go to UTSA now. And, um, you know, this is a program that has, you know, historically struggled, but they may be on the come up now, Tom. Yeah, seven and five last season. Returning a ton of starters for head coach Jeff Trailer. Uh, he went seven and five last year. Um, and, and they're getting back, what is it, 20 out of 22 starters? Yep, 20 out of 22. And uh, this is a team that. Ran the ball for 215 yards per game last year. They uh, racked up 415 yards of offense. They were middle of the pack in their defense, uh, but you'd expect that to continue to jump forward. Some of their losses last year, too, they lost to UAB by eight. They lost to a really good BYU team by seven. They lost to a really good Army team, uh, 28 to 16. The the loss to FAU was maybe a bit of an anomaly there. They they just played really poorly and lost 24 to three. Yep. And then they played uh, Louisiana in uh, their bowl game and lost 31-24. So this is a team that, that started playing some really good football, and I think that you're going to continue to see that out of this group. Yeah, this is something they had 19 players on the all-conference team, um, which they set a school record, and they're bringing most of them back. Uh, this is a team that was well-rounded. Um, they ran the ball well, 200 yards on the ground, 200 yards through the air. Sincere McCormick had 1,467 rushing yards and scored 11 touchdowns. In 12 games. Yeah, almost uh, averaged uh, 5.9 yards per carry. And he's um, back. Yeah, and he's a, he's a tank. He, <laughs> his guy, Frank Harris, the backup, 648 yards, Dual threat quarterback, Frank Harris. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, Harris threw 12 touchdown passes and then, you know, ran for a bunch of yards too. So you've got, a, you've got that – that scary dual threat action in the backfield with McCormick. 
um, you know, look forward to seeing what this team does as they as they step forward. And one of the other things that last year was Jeff Trailer's first there year there, and they did not have any spring practices because of yeah. COVID. So um, he learning on the fly was able to get to seven and five and. Uh, really an impressive season for them. UTSA is my favorite team to win the conference. Really? I, yeah, I love it. All right. I love UTSA to win this conference because they just they're returning so much and and I can just see them going stepping nothing but forward here. Um who do we want to talk about next time? La Tech. Louisiana Tech. Yeah, fighting Skip Holtzes. Yeah. Always an entertaining product it seems. Uh, last year they played games. Listen to listen to some of these games that they played. Uh, at Southern <laughs> Miss they went thirty one thirty. Played Houston Baptist they won sixty six thirty eight. Played UAB they won in overtime thirty seven thirty four. Played North Texas they won forty two to thirty one. Then they absolutely got run by uh, TCU fifty two to ten and Georgia Southern thirty eight to three. Yeah. So um, you know. Defensively, they, they were not fantastic last year, to say the least. Um, they scored their share of points. They passed the ball pretty well. Um, they're returning Luke Anthony. Uh, looks like he'll he'll continue to be the starter there, right? Yeah, he got hurt in the TCU game, missed the bowl game. Um, but he, he had some really nice numbers in the 1,400 yards, 16 touchdowns, only five picks. Ten returning starters on defense. Um, so hopefully that can improve. The quote here from Skip Holtz. I feel this defense has a chance to be one of the best I've ever had here. Yeah. Well, that's not. I don't know much. if that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're they're a fun, exciting team to watch, and uh, you know, offensively they've got quite a bit of turnover on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but they do, they do return um, Isaiah Graham and Griffin uh, Herbert Abear. I don't know. It might be could be Bobby Abear's kid for all I know. <laughs> it's in Louisiana. I'm going with Abear. Solid. Um, Offensive line uh, is replacing three starters, so that's a, a bit of a concern. So that's that's one of the areas I would keep an eye on here, um, if Luke Anthony is going to be able to stay upright here or not. Um, next up, Tom, what do you got? Southern Miss, the Golden S Eagles. Yeah, Southern Miss. Um, so they had a tumultuous season last year. <laughs> Uh, to say the least, I, it, didn't they, they had their quarterback quote or their coach quit in the middle of the season? Yes, and um, things just went like really sideways. So Will Hall takes over as head coach uh, his first season. Not only did they they had their head coach step down before the season, and then the interim head coach quit after three games. Yeah, so just a, a mess. Yeah, it was a disaster for a team that you know they, it's not like they were just god awful or anything like that. They they. You know, they lost three games, then they get a win. They lost a couple games, get a win. It, it, I've seen worse teams and, and yeah. not seen the coaches walk out. So Something's um, amiss there, for sure. I, I'm concerned about uh, administrative problems there in uh, at Southern Miss to, to have guys just walking off the job like that. Um, they lost to South Alabama. They lost to Louisiana Tech. They lost to Tulane. Lost to Liberty. Uh, no shame in that. Uh, lost to Rice. Their only wins came against really poor teams last year. Yeah, um, we'll see if they can get some stability here. They're having, you know, their their top two quarterbacks are left, so they're they're the third quarterback who played just a little bit last year looks to be inheriting the job. Um, this is an offense that ran the ball really well, um, and a defense that was bad against the run. So, yeah. I mean, part of that's 
you know, being down big in a lot of these games, you're probably just getting pounded against the run. So, um, Ten you know. returning starters on defense, though, so you, you could potentially see some growth there. The most exciting thing about this team, watching Frank Gore Jr. play running back and seeing if he's anything like his dad. So uh, Frank <laughs> Gore Jr., um, you know, he'll he'll be getting uh, plenty of – he'll be featured quite frequently on this group. So Freshman, right? Yeah. Yep. So that'll be really fun to watch. I'm, I'm excited to see if he's uh, – He's inherited the uh, the gifts of his dad, who is still looking to play in the NFL at this point. Yeah, he'll he'll catch you. Yeah, North Texas, Tom. Sounds good. All right, the Mean Green. One of the most underrated team names. I know that's a very nice uh, team name, and and you know I like their uniforms too. Um, I like the away ones better. Is that weird? I I agree with you. No, okay, not weird at all. Not weird. Um, this is a team. Uh, head coach Seth Luttrell. Uh, 31 and 31 in his career, um, you know, the definition of uh, mediocre, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you see here with this group? Uh, this is another team that's going to be trying to figure out the quarterback position on the fly. They had a couple transfer out, couple transfer in. Um, one, um, Ar Armani Gilmore from Kentucky, Jace Rudder from North Carolina. They're both dual threats, so that's kind of what you're expecting to see here. Um, they lose Jalen Darden, who was a really, really good wide receiver. Yeah, 1,100 yards, 19, yes, 19 touchdowns in 10 yeah. games. But I expect them to still be good on the offensive side because Seth Luttrell's teams are always pretty good on the offensive side. Yeah, the um, Deontay they, Simpson's returning, who had a 20.7 average on 25 receptions last year. They led the conference in, in yards. Um, they led – so here's the thing, right? Number one in the Conference USA in scoring, rushing, passing, and total offense. Sounds good. Number 13 in Conference USA in scoring, rushing, passing, and total defense. How, All many, how many teams are there in the Conference 14. USA? 14. 14? Yeah. Oh, man. Not good, right? No bueno. <laughs> so, and we know one team sat out, so they were the last. They were last. Yeah. DFL. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents. Uh, yeah. Or don't. I don't know. <laughs> rice. Um, yes. Rice. What do you think about rice, Tom? Um, I love it with butter and pepper. I know. I like to add a little red sauce. Really? Yeah. It's delicious. Also, chicken, hot sauce, and butter. Yeah. It's buffalo-style rice. For those of you that have never had it, it's delicious. Um, Luke McCaffrey, transfer from Nebraska, has taken over a quarterback. Um, I honestly don't know much about him. Um so can't give you too much so on Luke him. McCaffrey has transferred twice this offseason yes he originally went to Louisville and then skipped again it's a little little concerning right um but it, he was highly recruited talented uh kid so we'll see if uh him taking that role at, at Rice is helpful for this unit which uh they didn't run the ball very well last year in their games that they played um last season we had some uh they had you know, the they played five, one. Yeah, they had they played five games. The the win at Marshall was uh, very interesting. Blanked them. Yeah, shut them out twenty to nothing. A very good Marshall team. Yeah, and uh, their three losses, <laughs> you know, lose to Middle Tennessee, who wasn't very good in overtime. Uh, beat Southern Miss, who was in turmoil. Uh, lose to North Texas twenty seven seventeen. I mean, they they held that North Texas team to twenty seven. So I guess that's not that's, that's something. Yeah, um, blank <laughs> Marshall, and then lose to UAB twenty one sixteen. So. 
that it was a respectable performance by this team last year, if you ask me. And I think this is a, this is a group that you could look to take a big step forward. Defensively, they were in the top five in, in most categories in, the, in Conference USA. Um, offensively, they need to take some steps forward, and Luke McCaffrey may be the answer for that. Um, you know, he, he's a highly talented kid, so I'll be, I'll be interested to see what happens there. Yes, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, him transferring twice is worrisome. Um, you have to wonder, maybe he was told he was going to be a starter, gets to Louisville, realizes, yeah, that's probably not going to be true, so he finds some place he can, he can go and be the guy. And Marcus Tuyasopo takes over the uh, offense there as the offensive coordinator, and he runs like a West Coast quick pass kind of offense, so yeah. um, could be fun to watch there. Um, I would expect a lot of uh, a lot of quick passing game there, um, and maybe you know 40, 40 plus attempts from McCaffrey each game. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see what this Rice team can do because they had been so bad historically uh, that it, it's nice to see them kind of stepping forward a bit now. Let's see let's see what happens in the, in the long term though with this group. Yeah. Uh, what's our we got one team left right? UTEP. Yeah. So UTEP last season, they, what, by the way, some of the worst uniforms in college football. Not great, right? Those it's a weird orange, orange yellow. Yeah, thing. yeah, not not wonderful. Um, last season, wins against Abilene Christian uh, and Stephen F. Austin and Louisiana Monroe, who might be one of the worst teams in in all of uh, Division One FBS football. Yes, so. The three wins are not impressive. The rest of the losses are really not impressive. Um, they lost 45-43 to North Texas. I guess they, they hung in in a shootout there. Um, do you see anything that has you excited about this team? Uh, so the one thing is just the amount of people returning. I think um, you know Phil has them having 11 offensive starters with an asterisk because they have one guy who split time coming back and then seven defensive starters coming back. Um, they seem to have figured out what they want to do at quarterback with Gavin Hardson um, settling in on the role. And, you know, they do have some weapons. They have some wide receivers that were making plays. Um, they have a, a group of wide receivers, which is always beneficial. Uh, and they can run the ball a little bit. 140 yards a game is not bad um, for a pass-heavy offense. Absolutely. Um, they struggled against the pass on defense last year, um, which yes. is, you know, it's going to need to get cleaned up. Uh, if that gets cleaned up a little bit, they can be more competitive in some of these games. You, you can't afford to uh, to be giving up 38 to Charlotte and 52 to UTSA and 45 to North Texas. Uh, that was their last three games last season. This so. is another one that the, you, you, do you throw out some of these results? The first three games, they're two and one. Their only loss was at Texas, but then they have five road games to close the season. Yeah, uh, as they're just trying to figure out where when and where they can play yeah so you know some of that is pretty crazy um, having to go on the road five games in a row um, you know again not a team I expect to be pushing for the conference championship by any stretch speaking of which who is your conference champion Tom um, I'm gonna go with UAB they won it last year and are running back most of that team yeah um, they should be improving on what they did well last season I I mean it's not fun to bet chalk, but in a conference where there's so many question marks with so many of the other teams, especially at the quarterback position, I'm going to take the team that got it done last year. I think November 20th could be the, the hallmark for, for what happens in uh, in this division um, and who comes out of the, the West division. Yeah. And uh, that's the UAB and UTSA game. 
um, could could determine who uh, who plays for the conference title. So uh, very interested to see how that shakes out. And uh, UTSA gets to host that game, so uh, that's a big deal. Um, I think that it'll be a very interesting conference to see. I th again, my least favorite of all the conferences, yeah. the one that I feel like I have the least handle on what's happening with the teams, with the programs. They don't do a very good job of getting their games in your face. Like They don't at like all. Mac has, has really adopted the we're, we're going to play games when nobody else does on Wednesdays yeah. and Fridays to make their product known. Sunbelt gets a little bit of love because of uh, some of their West Coast times, stuff like that. Uh, these guys don't have any niche that's like, hey, I'm going to watch these guys because they're all that's on. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh Come it's on, tough. marketing, get, get it, your act together. They play a lot of like noon games on Saturday, and there's other stuff yeah. to watch. So We're watching these Big Ten teams beat each other up. Yeah. So. All right, uh, finally, uh, we are going to talk about the NFC East here, Tom, and, uh, and let's determine, uh, you know, kind of our predicted orders of finish here. And, uh, you know. Let's start in reverse order from last year and just talk about each team. Yeah, go ahead. So the Eagles... 4-11-1 last year, obviously a lot going on in that season. Um, the coach quitting on them, basically, in a weird wanting-to-lose way. Yeah. It's just awkward and odd. And um, So 4-11-1, Jalen Hurts has the uh, keys to kind of be the quarterback for the full season. Um, interested to see how that goes. Their wide receiver group is odd. Um, Devontae have, Smith, Jalen Rager, and Travis Fulgham. You got a lot of guys that haven't shown you anything yet. Right. Um, so that's a little up in there. I love Miles Sanders. I'm a big fan. But, again, the uh, some of his opportunities because of how bad the offense is just not I like, there. I like the addition of Carrion Johnson to, yeah. you know, spell him and maybe do some of the short yardage work. Um, so that'll be a nice piece there. I like Devontae Smith. I think Jalen Rager can develop, and Travis Fulgham showed some stuff. So, um it's all going to hinge on how good Jalen Hurts really is at the quarterback position. I like their offensive line. Um, they're, they're pretty strong up front still. Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Semelo, and uh, Andre Dillard at left tackle. Um, defensively, you know, they, they can still get after the pass rusher. You've got Brandon yes. Graham and Derek Barnett and Fletcher Cox up front. Um, their linebacker group leaves a little something to be desired, if you ask me. Uh, right now they have listed on the depth chart Alex Singleton, Eric Wilson, and Sean Bradley as their starting linebackers. Um, nothing that stands out to me in that group, and I think it's the weakest part of their team. And their secondary isn't great either. Um, Darius Slay is, is solid. Yes. Um, Rodney McLeod at strong safety, Anthony Harris at free safety, Avante Maddox at, at the other corner position. So um, I'm not in love with that group that they have at the back end of their defense. Yeah, on defense, you have a couple guys up front, like you said, that make plays, and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. Um, and then there's not too much else to get excited about. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be able to throw away from Darius Slay because Avante Maddox isn't really scaring anybody. Right. Uh, you know, this, this offense is a huge question mark. Um, you have Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager who have talent and could be, you know, explosive. Right. But none of that's... You know, settled the tight end room. A lot of rumors about Zach Ertz getting moved, um, giving Dallas Goddard the, the chance. It, there's just nothing here that you feel good about. Right. All right. Moving on. Are we going uh, Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, Dallas Cowboys sit finished six and ten last year. Um, obviously, the big story was injuries for them. Dak being out. Um, Zeke missing some time. 
Um, with this offense back on full blast, you know, you would expect better from that side of the ball. And this defense last year, um, because of some of the problems on offense, kind of got overlooked. They definitely had some uh, better play with some of this defense. Yeah. I love their linebacker room, Leighton Vander Esch, Micah Parsons, Jalen Smith. Yeah. Yeah, not you know, and then they've got Jabril Cox that they drafted as well. Um, Keanu Neal uh, is part of that uh, defense now as well. Um, the, the front seven's awesome. I do the, like it a lot. Neville Gallimore, I like. <laughs> I like Trevon Diggs, though. I, I think that he's got a lot of upside still um, and, and has an opportunity to, to take a step forward. I, I'm a little concerned about some of the other you know, members of the secondary. Yeah, the, the safeties are nothing to get too excited about. Kelvin Joseph is still unproven. Um, Diggs, again, some flashes, but, you know, he's he's young. Last year he was a rookie. Um, we'll, we'll see if they can step it up. But they might not have to do too much because this offense should be dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the New York football giants. And, uh, you know, this is a, a group that – yeah, I mean, you, you lost Saquon Barkley early last year. Yes. Um, which is, it, it hurts. Um, Daniel Jones is going into, what, his third or fourth season now? I think third. Third season. Yeah, 1922. Yeah, yeah 21. Um, <laughs> Daniel Jones, you know, jury's out, but mostly seems like he's not going to, he's not going to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league for sure no, so no i mean they did a good job i think this offseason trying to get him some some weapons getting galladay um getting john ross um, bringing kyle rudolph to kind of help with the evan ingram conundrum which is he's awesome but he doesn't play often right um and obviously saquon being there and even bringing in Devonte booker as a backup like right you know, they they've they've added to the offense it definitely should be a year where he puts up or they move on. I like their defense when I look at it. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, Danny Shelton, Leonard Williams up front. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, Reggie Ragland, Black, uh, Blake Martinez, uh, linebacker, and Aziz Ojolari, right? So you've yeah. got a 3-4 there. Um, Aziz Ojolari was perhaps the most polished pass rusher in the draft this year. So we'll see if he can have an impact early this season. Um, and then their secondary, James Bradbury, Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, and Adoree Jackson. Um, Adoree Jackson was a big big yeah. boon for them. Um, it, I mean, this is a team that has done a lot this offseason. How will it gel, and will Daniel Jones be good enough to make some noise in a, in a, in a division that's it's fairly wide open? I mean, um, We'll get to our predictions here probably in a minute, I imagine. But yeah, you know it's it's fairly wide open. There's no perennial team that you look at and go, oh yeah, right. So, all right, and uh, the Washington Football Team. Uh, I almost made a mistake. The the team name coming next year allegedly. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, defensively, you got to love what they have going there, and the addition of Jamin Davis in the draft um, was huge. Uh, I I love what you see. <laughs> Her defense is nasty. Uh, yeah, I love what I see up and down. Um, if that group stays healthy, they are going to be very, very tough to deal with. Um, offensive line, uh, Charles Leno starting at left tackle is a little concerning. Wes Schweitzer, Schweitzer at left guard. I think that the, and Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. I mean, there are some areas of concern amongst that offensive line, yeah. but I do like the additions they've made. you got Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, um, Terry McLaurin, 
You know, that they drafted Deami Brown. Uh, Steven Sims Jr. had a nice season last Antonio year. Antonio Gandy-Golden um, is a fun yeah. player to see what, what kind of happens in his second year. Um, Antonio Gibson uh, gets a starting nod at running back. Uh, Jarrett Patterson is listed fourth on this depth chart right now, Tom. I hope that he climbs that depth chart above Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, I mean, I hope he uh, gets cut and signs with Buffalo. <laughs> As you would. All right. Let's talk about, you know, what we see forthcoming with this division this year. Do you see any of these teams making a deep playoff run? Uh, I think the team that could make the deepest playoff run would be Dallas. And I think the most obvious reason is they have the best quarterback in the division. Yeah. I think it goes without saying that Dak's the best. I think the Washington football team has the best defense. Yeah. And I think the Cowboys have the best offense. So those are the two teams I think will be kind of duking out. The Giants have too many moving parts. Um, I like what they did in the offseason. I think they put themselves in a good position to improve. But where that leads them this year, not really sold on Daniel Jones. So I think if Dak and that defense can stay healthy, I I think they can make the run if if one of them is make a run. Fitzpatrick will always bite you. Yeah, um, he'll have games where the the Washington football team because you can't just say football team because that's weird, uh, but you'll have t- you'll have games where they they run people out of the gym. They're gonna have games where the defense is, is firing and creating turnovers, and Fitz Magic is real and he's throwing right. bombs and touchdowns and getting his face ripped off and making forty yard throws. Yeah, um, but then you'll have games where he just he loses it and you, you right. can't figure out what he was doing. So yeah, I think with that dichotomy you got to lean towards the one where you can you have a little more faith in the uh quarterback yeah i mean i i lean towards dallas to win the division because yeah. a healthy Dak prescott uh with all of those weapons is going to be so hard to deal with so. and, I, and i really do like some of their pieces on defense too the front seven is is really good in that group in that room um you know if everything comes together i think dallas could win you know 13 games they're, they're a 13 yeah. and 4 type of team you know and and that's uh, I don't think Washington can keep pace with that. I, I think that they can win 11 to 12 games. So, you know, that's kind of 11 games probably is where I, where I would put them, you know, 11 and 6 type of team this year um, with the 17th game this season. So, uh, you know, those are the two teams for me. But if I had to put my money on it, I don't have to, but I probably will put my money on it. <laughs> I like Dallas to win the division, and, um, and I expect a, a really fun season for that group. And uh, Jerry World will be rocking. Yeah, I agree. I think they're the, you know, if you have to pick a favorite to start the season, they would definitely be it. They do have a, a bit of a interesting schedule. Starting the season, Thursday night at Tampa Bay, Yeah, not a lot of fun. Um, and they actually don't play the Washington football team. I'm trying to bring it up until week 14. They play in week 14, Giants week 15, Washington again week 16. Yeah, that's going to be a, a hell of an important stretch there. <laughs> right? Oh, goodness. Who made so, that schedule? Right. So, all right, that's going to wrap up our episode tonight. Uh, look forward to our videos, guys, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're going to keep putting them out, uh, quick two- to three-minute videos yeah. where we give a quick pick on something that we see that night that we really love. Uh, so expect a bunch of those to be coming out. And, uh, you know, we're getting closer to fantasy football season. Um you know, we're getting closer to college football season. We are, uh, you know, a month away from, from, you know, less than a month away from training camps opening three weeks away, really. July 23rd. Yeah, three weeks away. Um, so 
it, it's uh, it's coming quick, folks. Football season is nearing, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. I can't wait for the UFC this weekend. Yeah. We're going to be watching it together here. It should be a great time, and uh, we'll be dropping some picks for you guys before the fights start. Yeah, next week, another big week, we have the top 10 fantasy tight ends, the open championship preview. Got to love that. Yeah. And a little AAC for college preview on the NFC North. Amazing. I can't wait. All right, guys, we'll catch you all next week.